Welcome to the Remote First Podcast. Every week we invite guests from large or innovative companies to share their insights on enabling an equitable and distributed workplace experience. I'm your host, Daphne Laforet. Hey everyone, today I am in the company of Ben Gatley, CEO of Charlie HR and host of the Culture Ops Podcast to get a bit deep in the discussion of culture operations. So welcome to the show, Ben. Hey. So can you actually introduce yourself a bit, introduce, you know, what is Charlie HR as a first and also why you started this podcast? Sure. So I have been running businesses for 12 years and uh, our first business was an agency here in London, which we ran for five years. And once we stepped out of that, we were thinking like, what do we want to do next? And I am always struck by the importance that people play within any organization. You know, you can have the best technology, you can have uh, amazing AI or machine learning, or you've patented something incredible. At the end of the day, all of those things have been created and moved forward and progressed by people. And so organizations and companies are groups of people coming together to achieve a common purpose. And so that is where, uh, you know, a lot of that original thinking for Charlie came from. It was that we want to, we want to help organizations spend more time on the real value add work, developing people, supporting people rather than the admin that comes with running uh, and operating a business. And yeah, that's where, that's where the original idea for the business comes from. Five years on, we are moving from being just an HR platform where you can book holiday and, you know, load up and categorize and run reports on employee data to hopefully a platform that's going to help organizations think about how they can craft their cultures. Because I guess we feel the next 10 to 20 years in the people space is going to be dominated by thinking about how we can use our culture to achieve our business outcomes. And that's why I'm really, really fascinated with. So in the end, when you think about culture operations, what does it mean exactly to have culture operations? Because I've, I've actually never heard of that term before. I heard of people operations, you know, all sorts of like DevOps and product ops and all these things. And culture ops is very new. So please tell me, what does it mean? So culture ops is the process of working and crafting your culture. And you know, you've not heard the name before because it's it's something that we came up with. I I think invented. <laughs> I don't I don't want to use invented. The creator of culture ups is here. <laughs> no, I could probably find maybe one or two other places on the internet where culture ops, culture operations has been has been written. I guess what we're trying to do is like fly the flag for it. Because mm. I think we could all agree that over maybe the last five years, culture kind of got a bit of a bad name. You know, you say to someone, we need to improve our culture. And they'd say, okay, well, let's get a ping pong table or some more bean bags or, you know, let's, let's. Yoga classes. Yeah. Yoga classes. Let's do some drinks after work. And what you realize and what the pandemic taught us was that none of that is culture. Mm-hmm. Culture is the experience that people have within your organization and it changes and it adapts on kind of a daily basis. And so because you can't actually 
touch, prod, put your culture in a box, it means that it kind of gets neglected. We're not very good at working on it. We're not very good at prioritizing it. So we needed a discipline. We needed a word. We needed a way of actually working on our culture, of crafting our culture. And that's what culture operations is. It's the, it's the process of actively work crafting your culture. And we see that as three things. We see that as the people that you bring into your business, the processes, the way you work, and the policies, the do's and don'ts of your organization. When you're working on those mm. three things, you're actively crafting your culture. Um, so that's, that's our thinking behind culture ups. Mm. I mean, funny enough, also, these are the things that people have to work on when they are going remote, when they are wanting to become a remote first company. They have to be thinking about people they're going to bring in, the policies they're going to put in place so things are clear, and then the processes they're going to put together to make sure that, you know, we have good ways of working and we're having some consistency in the way we're working. So it's interesting because it kind of feel like you cannot be a remote first company if you don't have the culture operations also in mind. I mean, I think, you know, you and I just spent an hour before this talking about how to craft a remote experience and an experience is your culture, how people experience your organization and how they experience the act of going to work and coming to work. That is your culture. And so, yeah, I think crafting any experience requires you to think about those, those three pillars, those three, mm -hmm. those three areas, you know, and we don't talk a huge amount about people because people is the biggest lever in, in my view. The biggest impact on your culture is the people that you bring into the room, the people you put in leadership positions, the people you promote, and the people that you show the door to, the people that you fire. Mm. Whenever someone comes to me and says, I want to I, I improve our culture, I'm like, start with your people. Like, if all you did was think about making sure that we bring the right type of person into the room and that we reward the right type of behaviors internally, the impact is massive. And so where we spend a lot of our time is helping businesses to understand the process and policy part because we feel like that's the area that maybe isn't talked enough about when it comes to culture. Yeah, but it's so hard to the people part. It's actually the hard part. Like in the end, like the, the you can write policies, you can write processes, you can think about all the you know, the the ways you're gonna do work and you know, strategize on things, but like who are you going to bring in and like who they are and how they are interacting and how they can actually impact like the way they're, they're talking to each other, the way they, you know, are they going to be bullies? Are they going to be like collaborative? Are they going to be like, it's so hard that, that part, the people. And a lot of companies just uh, around that also, when they talk about the people, they talk about values also, you know, who we are as a company, who we are as people working together. And they think that, the values are actually what will make their company thrive in their culture. Like, what do you think about, about that, about the, the values of a company? So I don't talk a lot about values. We talk a lot about behaviors. Okay. Because a value, the way that you display a value is different to how I display a value. And I think often they're also quite ambiguous and that makes it very, very difficult to hire for. It's important to remember that we're not trying to create cults here. 
We're mm-hmm. trying to create cultures, right? Very close. <laughs> Very close. But a, a culture celebrates differences. A cult celebrates similarities. And the best cultures are diverse of thought, diverse of, of background, um, diverse of provenance, where we're all from, diverse of beliefs. But they are similar in terms of the behaviors that we have, the way that we go about doing things. And, and I thought behaviors is a better, is a better term to use than values because it's easier for me to write down what I mean by that. It's easier for me to explain that to you. It's easy for me to point to examples. When I start thinking, you know, talking about values like transparency or integrity, like what does integrity mean? You know, Mm -hmm. like your definition of integrity is going to be different to like my definition of integrity. And that's going to cause some challenges, right? As we scale our organizations and we try and help hiring managers understand what to look for and what not to look for. And so, you know, behaviors is, is where we normally go to and where we suggest organizations think about, which is like, when you're looking out across the organization, what are the things you want to see coming back? What are the, what are the ways of doing things that, that you want to, you want to experience from people? Those are your behaviors. Those are what you should hang your hat on. Those are what you should hire for. And that's having a huge impact on the culture that you craft. And that's super interesting that you say behavior because just lately we spoke with someone at Dropbox where we said that there's a big behavioral shift at the moment with moving from in office to remote. Many people are going through a big, big shift. And then there's a lot of behavior shift that needs to be done as well to be able to succeed in that new way of working. Basically, we have to unlearn the habits that we had at working in the, in the way working in the office was before. And then now learn new ways of working, new behaviors, new ways of showing that transparency, that empathy that you are talking about. Like it's, it's quite difficult. So what kind of behavior you think make a big difference in a, in a remote setup? It's a great question. I think the answer slightly depends on whatever type of organization that you are. You know, I'm often asked the question, well, let's use a, let's use a Berlin example, right? There's been lots written about the gorillas culture. Uh, I'm sure you read some of it. And whenever there's a bad, an example of a bad culture in the press, Brewdog is another good example. You know, um, there's been lots written about that or Revolut here in the UK. People will ask me, you know, They'll ask me for comment about how bad that culture is. And I try and not get in the habit of talking about good cultures and bad cultures and more in the habit of talking about effective cultures. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's the way that we should be looking at culture. We should be looking at culture as a tool to help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. And it's the same with remote. Different organizations are going to craft different remote experiences in different ways. your remote experience at one company is probably going to be different to your remote experience at another company. And it should be different because those organizations are trying to do different things. Have to work back from first basic principles. What are we trying to achieve? What's the purpose of our organization? Are we a revolute, which is like speed at all costs? And we are going to be relatively aggressive in our pursuit of market dominance? Or are we like a Monzo, which is like where we care much more about how the organization and the brand is perceived, where, where we're trying to build a brand relationship with consumers 
which feels friendly and approachable. And so we need to mimic our internal culture on that. They were deliberate in in crafting a culture that was useful and effective to them in, in building the type of com- company that they were trying to build. And so, you know, the same applies in this instance, which is that if we are thinking about crafting a remote experience, it needs to be, we need to be coming up with what that looks like based on what our company is trying to achieve, uh, what the purpose of the organization is, what the experiences that we want people to have, and starting from first basic principles rather than thinking about this is what other people are doing, therefore we should do the same, or this is what good looks like and this is what bad looks like. I don't believe in that. I think it's about effective and ineffective. And either your culture is helping you achieve what you want to achieve or it isn't. Awesome. And then when we think about, um, you were saying people, policies and processes. So what kind of policies do you think have a really big impact on culture? I think that communication is probably at the top of that list or should be at the top of that list. How people communicate and how information is transmitted across the organization. And I think often we don't think necessarily that deeply about that, but we absolutely should. And, you know, I think that's been one of the definite advantages of having to craft cultures in a hybrid or remote setting is that we're having to think more deliberately about how we communicate and how information is is shared across the organization. So in terms of policies, communication is definitely up on there. Like who who are we expecting to communicate and what and what information are we expect them to communicate and who are we expect them to communicate it to. So I think that's the first one. I think the second is how we create alignment as an organization. So how do we set targets? How do we set goals? How do we set what's important and what's not important? You know, and and these probably don't sound like the flashy examples that people might talk about when they talk about culture, but these are actually fundamental in in driving the experience that people have within your organization. People need to know what's important and they need to have the context to make the decisions they want to make. And so having really, really clear processes and policies that relate to both of those things is where I would start. How do you separate policies and processes? Like I see a lot, you know, people are like, okay, policies is like a, a rule that you would have or like a, a set of, of, of guidelines or like this is what you can do in the company, what you cannot do. And then processes would be like, this is how you are doing it. Or like if we, if you want, uh, for example, it might be a policy about you are allowed to have a thousand dollar office set up in your home. And then you can, you have a process to put it in place, for example. And this needs to be quite clear to make sure that everybody's aligned, that everybody's doing the same thing. I mean, I like that you're answering my questions for me. It <laughs> makes my job, makes, <laughs> makes my job so easy. <laughs> I'm trying to see like, how does it make sense for people that are trying to put all this together to have like concrete examples of like, what are the kind of things they'll have to do? for a remote team, for example. Yeah, you're you're, you're pretty much spot on with what you said. So you definitely said it more eloquently than I will. But when I think about policies, I think about the agreed do's and don'ts of an organization. Mm. And those those can be written. But I think I, I also always try and remind organizations that sometimes those are unwritten. 
we've all joined organizations where there's been a very obvious way of how things are done around here. You know, and that's one of the classic definitions of culture, how we do things around here. And I think that sometimes these things are explicit, i.e. we've written them down, we've communicated them, and sometimes they're sort of implicit. You know, we just get a sense of a feeling of like, okay, it's obviously not cool to do this, and it is very, very cool to do this. And so the question I always ask founders is, what are the policies that you've created that you've not been explicit about? The one that is classic, it was sort of pre-COVID and and was people leaving the office. You know, there were cultures where you didn't leave until the CEO left the office or you didn't leave until your line manager left the office. I guarantee you there was no policy, no document that said, you know, you mustn't leave the office until your line manager leaves. doesn't matter. If that's what's happening implicitly because people are just picking it up and experiencing it in the room, then then it's a policy. So so some of those implicit policies might be things that you want. They also might be things you don't want. So you need to be really, really clear. And then your processes is how the magic happens. It is the, the way things are created. It's the engine that powers the organization. So that might be a process for how people across the organization feedback on company strategy. You know, you want to document a process around that so that people are clear, okay, if I've got feedback on something, these are the steps that I can take. That's how I help people to understand, I guess, the differences of, of process and policy. Policy, do's and don'ts, process the cogs that are spinning within inside your organization. And, and I think you can have explicit and implicit on both sides and being really clear about the ones that you want and the ones that you don't want, the ones that are serving you and the ones that maybe aren't serving you, I think is really important because often we're crafting a culture that maybe we don't want to be crafting, you know, maybe some of the ways that we're behaving and some of the things that are happening with our organizations within our organization aren't actually conducive to the type of culture we're trying to create. And so a bit of reflection, getting feedback, thinking about what it's, what's actually going on in the organization is, is super important. And where do you classify the part of culture that is like the events or the activities that happens between employees that are not work-related necessarily, that are more like the, the water cooler moments or like the, which are not water cooler, but like call it like whatever, the donuts moments, <laughs> but you know, like where maybe there's activities or things outside of work that are organized, maybe in work hours, but basically that are not work-related not, or not, not a policy or a process, but they are around the people, basically. I'm really trying to expand people's view of what a policy is because I, I absolutely think those things are policies. And, and just because something isn't, just because we aren't talking about work doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't making us more effective in doing our work, you know? Like the time that you and I spend together building up context about each other at, say, a work social or having a, a quick one-on-one over a coffee, it makes us really, it makes us more effective in, in what we're doing on a day-to-day basis together in a, in a work context, even though if what we're talking about has nothing to do with work. And, you know, the rules of engagement for crafting a really effective culture are the same as they are for enabling a really effective remote setup as an organization, which, as we were talking about earlier, is all about being deliberate. It's about being really, really clear 
on how you're going to do things, on what is okay and what isn't okay. Being a deliberate leader, being an organization that deliberately thinks about the culture they're trying to create. And those water cooler moments, those moments that build context and empathy, you know, they should be a policy. They should be documented. There should be a plan for how we're going to create them. Because especially in a world where we aren't, there aren't as many water coolers as there used to be. Um, we need to be really, really deliberate in how we create and manufacture them. So yeah, I, I absolutely think that those are a policy and we, we do have a policy for how functions meet up and spend time together for teams, how they meet up and spend time together. We have a process for helping teams think through what might work and what might not work and what might need and what they, you know, what's going to help them be more effective as a team. So all of this stuff should absolutely be in play when we're thinking about our cultures. Right. And then, so as a, a leader of a remote company, I guess, you know, Charlie and Char now has been, has been remote for, for a while. And then is there any learnings that you had just as a, as a company owner that you'd like to share that you think, you know, this was actually very hard to go through and we really learn uh, the hard way there, for example? Every time I think as a leader, I've worked it out. I'm faced with something that I've never faced before. And I suddenly realized that I have not worked it all out and I'm still only at the foot of the mountain. And, and sometimes that is deeply petrifying <laughs> mm. and really scary. And I, what I try and do is reframe the question or reframe the experience in my head and think more about, you know, my job is to, is to constantly be climbing the mountain. I need to enjoy the process of climbing the mountain rather than thinking about what happens when I get to the top. Because the chance is I'm never getting to the top. <laughs> you know, the chance is I'm never going to feel like I've really mastered, you know, what I'm here to do and that I'm the perfect CEO. And so I guess that's how I try and sort of go through my, go through my weeks and months is enjoying the process and enjoying the journey that we're on and trying to take some enjoyment from the uncomfortable moments you know for us at the moment we're here like pushing really hard as a leadership team to think about what we're not very good at mm. and you know we've just brought in a, a leadership coach a lady called rona ruthen who's currently vp of customer at monzo and you know she's doing an amazing job of like picking some holes in how we work as a team and saying you're not very good at this and you could definitely be better at that and that's really uncomfortable. It's really difficult. And so you sort of have to lean into that. You have to lean into those uncomfortable moments because in my experience, at least they're always around the corner and maybe other leaders would say differently. Maybe we're just having a particularly tough time of it, but I think that, you know, challenges exist everywhere. And the only thing to do is, is to stay in the ring and uh, keep facing up to them. Mm, so the first time that I hear, um, you know, company leaders getting leadership coaching to be better leaders. And I think, I think this is really good to do. Definitely. Also in a setup where maybe you're new to working remotely or you're new to doing that leadership part when you don't really see people every day and have the momentum that you used to have. So definitely that's, uh, that's really good. I'm, I really appreciate that you shared some vulnerability there. I really appreciate that, that you did that. I guess it's something also that at Charlie HR is part of your culture as well, that you are kind of uh, 
open, open like this? Do you feel like this is something that's part of the company culture? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that one of the things that COVID taught us is that I'm not really sure how effective you can be as a leader if you aren't crafting an environment that is vulnerable and honest because COVID was pretty crap for everybody. You know, there was no one that wasn't really affected by it. And if you stood up there and said, hey, everything's fine, I've got all the answers, everyone knew you were lying, right? So I think as leaders, kind of to be authentic, our only option is to be is to be vulnerable and, and to be honest about, yeah, like what we're struggling with and what's working well and, you know, what the pain points are because, you know, that's the experience of everyone else. And I think it, it allows us to build an organization that deals with failure better, you know, deals with challenge better, is more resilient. And I think in, in the age of COVID, that def- those definitely feel like things we want to we wanna, we wanna be turning up. Hmm. And if I move this philosophical thing to a more like rational thing, I would say, how do you make vulnerability more accessible? Like what kind of policies and processes do you write for allowing people to be more vulnerable, to like show that they can be more vulnerable? So on vulnerability, I'm going to say I'll pick something from all three. So I'll pick something from people. I'll pick something from processes. I'll pick something from policies. So mm-hmm. when it comes to people, I think you want to hire people that could self-reflect. So as part of the interview stage, we are absolutely testing and trying to understand how self-reflective those that we're interviewing can be. Can they see faults in themselves? Can they see the things that maybe they can do better? So that's at the interview stage. In terms of processes, I think you want to build processes into your organization that craft self-reflection so and allow for it. So whether that being retrospectives after different pieces of work or be that, you know, a feedback process where people can, you know, give feedback to one another in a kind of safe and effective way. So, you know, do you have a process for feedback in your organization? You know, have you got the right tools? Are you teaching people what good feedback looks like? And then I think in terms of policy, I think vulnerability is a lot about psychological safety. And sometimes we don't often feel psychologically up to it. And and, and so I think having policies to support people's mental health, to support well-being within the organization, I think is I think is absolutely vital. So, you know, we have personal days, which are like mental health sick days, which people can, you know, take off a day. If, if they're, if they feel like they need some time for themselves to recharge, to rejuvenate, we know we offer counseling through, through spill. We have mental health first aiders in the business. That's an example of a policy that helps to craft an environment where people feel more psychologically safe because they know their mental health is being looked after. And so they're much more likely to be vulnerable and open. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing everything from, from Chile HR, from Culture Ops and everything. I think it's been super insightful. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you would like to share? No, not at all. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being a great host. Like Daphne said, if you want to see more of the podcast, uh, we're just the Culture Ops podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And um, I'm at Gately on Twitter. 
if you fancy you know listening to me tweet about culture or american football you're going to get one of two things thank you so much ben <laughs> thank you no worries see you later thank you for tuning in to remote first you can find all links and show notes in the episode description and if you found value in this show we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice thank you for being here see you next time <laughs>